Hi, Chris Glynn here with the Nightlight Podcast. Lorenzo DeSantis is back with us on today's show, speaking to us from his home in Johannesburg, South Africa. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Welcome back, Lorenzo. There was a lot of positive feedback to your last show on the foundation, the firmament and the throne. And I've been looking forward to your next topic. What's it going to be? Okay, so Christopher, the topic I want to actually open up today is, you know, the Bible speaks of the deception and the great delusion. Yes. In the book of Isaiah, when Satan is finally revealed and the nations look upon him and they say, is this the one that deceived the entire inhabitants of the earth. That's right. So we see that there's going to be a great deception. There's even a verse that says if it was possible, even the elect can be deceived, right? Right. And we see in Revelations 18.23, and by their sorceries were all the nations of the world deceived. And 2 Thessalonians 2.11, and it says, and for this cause... God gave them a strong delusion. So I think what we need to understand, we're living in the time of the strong delusion now. Absolutely. But if you ask someone, like, what is the strong delusion? I'm sure there'll be lots of opinions and, um, you know, thoughts on that. But that's where I love Revelations 15 verse 2. Have you got a Bible close to you? Maybe you can read that for us. Yes, I do. Here it is, uh, Revelation fifteen two, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So there again, remember in our previous episode, we spoke about the firmament. Yeah, we have a group of overcomers and they standing on the sea of glass. Again, it's the firmament. But they get victory over the beast, over the image, over the name, and over the number. Yes. So we're living in this time of great delusion, and we're living in this time of great deception. So I actually want to attempt opening up what this deception is. Okay, in Isaiah 22.22, and it says, And the keys of the house of David will I lay on his shoulders, and he shall open, and no one shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one shall open. Again in Revelation 3, 7, and it says, And the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he that is true, and he that has the key of David, he that opens, no man can shut, and he that shuts, no man can open. So I'm just kind of laying a little bit of a foundation here that, you know, Jesus is prophesied in Isaiah and he has the keys to open up the the truth to us regarding this deception. The keys, yes. And we're going to see how this ties in beautifully to Matthew 16, right? Right. Jesus now speaks to Peter and he says to him, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Yes. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right. So we see we're in a warfare and our warfare involves these keys. That's right. The Lord has these keys. The Lord gives us these keys. 
And we need to use these keys to bind everything the Lord wants us to bind. And we need to loose everything the Lord wants us to loose. Does that make sense, Christopher? Yes, it's very clear uh, that the keys of the kingdom are a spiritual weapon that we can use. So, you know, now we go on to a very interesting verse that struck me a few years ago that I've been meditating on. It's actually Job 38. So this isn't Job's friend speaking or his wife or Job. It's the Lord speaking to Job. And he actually says to Job, he says, Can you bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Can you bring forth the Maseroth in its season? So you know the principle of interpreting Scripture is First Peter no portion of scripture should be interpreted independently. Right. And Isaiah says, the way you interpret scripture, it says, a little here and a little there, line upon line, precept upon precept. So the way we interpret scripture is with scripture, right? Right. So there's an incredible similarity here between Jesus speaking to Peter and saying to him, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And God speaking to Job, and Job asks him a question. He says, can you bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Do you want to add any comment or thought before I go on? Well, this is a passage that I've never taken the time to research what the sweet influences of Pleiades or the bands of Orion are. So I'm happy that you're going to explain it to us. And what is the Maseroth? Yeah, so the Maseroth is an old Hebrew word for all the constellations. You know, we have to realize that, first of all, every star has a glory of its own. And the Lord knows them and has named them. So there's a verse that speaks about that in the Psalms. So the stars were put there by the Lord and the Lord knows them by name. Knows every one of them by name. It's amazing. Yeah, these are things that the Lord wants us to bind and loose. The phrase, the sweet influences of the Pleiades sounds nice. It does. Um, if you take it in a positive yeah. sense. However, if you look at a few of these verses... The sweet influences could almost be a deceptive term. So that's where it says in Proverbs 9.17, it says stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And Proverbs 20 verse 17, it says the bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Right, so you're saying that sweet in this context is an evil and not a good influence. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, John eats a scroll and Jeremiah eats a scroll. And remember, they were first sweet and then they became bitter to the stomach. Right. There's a whole study there on this term sweet. But, you know, then I decided one day I'm going to take a look at the Pleiades. But I want to look at the, the ancient Hebrew, Aramaic names of the stars. Right. And then I found something quite interesting, right? But before I go there, what does it mean to bind? So bind, Strong's 1210. It's to knit something together, to tie, to wind. So the Lord wants us to bind certain attributes and to um, loose certain attributes. So the key to robbing a man's house 
that Jesus explains, he says you first have to bind the strong man, right? Once you bind the strong man, you can plunder his house. I believe the Lord wants us to identify certain strong men and certain strongholds that operate in the world that he wants us to bind and tie them up. But how can we tie them up if we do not know what they are? They are the sweet influences operating in our culture that need to be identified. Inspiring you to dig deeper into God's Word. You're listening to Nightlight. Okay, so I want to go into the Pleiades. And um, under the Pleiades, there's a little note there. Maybe you can read that. The Pleiades are a set of seven stars known as the Seven Sisters, situated in the shoulder of the bull star sign Taurus. In Greek mythology, these seven stars are the seven daughters of the titan Atlas and the sea nymph Pleione. Both Taurus and the Pleiades were well known to the ancient Egyptians and many other ancient cultures, such as the Mayans, and played significant roles in their worship of the stars and other heavenly bodies. Also, an important thing I just want to mention here is, um, you know, in Second Kings 23 verse 5, it says of Judah, And in the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense to Baal, and to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to the hosts of heaven. So I think it's important just to make a comment here that, you know, as we're talking about Pleiades, and as we're talking about Orion, we don't worship them. They're basically there. God put them there as signs to know the times. And there's certain revelation tied up in them. But I'm just saying there are many cultures and people that worship the stars and burn incense to them. And you even get these um, astrologers. So we're not talking about that. We're just talking about looking to the, the spirit of Jesus in order to get revelation regarding what is he talking about when he says, can we bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades? And what do they stand for? Throughout the ages, many people have worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. But the sun, the moon, and the stars were made by the Lord and placed in the firmament. The stars are not what we may be taught they are. And then we see this verse in um, 2 Enoch 21.3 and Enoch 18.13-16. There touches the seven stars, which I believe are the Pleiades. Enoch 21.3 There too I beheld seven stars of heaven bound in it together like great mountains and like a blazing fire. I exclaimed, For what species of crime have they been bound and why have they been removed to this place? Then Uriel, one of the holy angels who was with me and who conducted me, answered, Enoch, wherefore dost thou ask? Wherefore reason with thyself, and anxiously inquire? These are those of the stars which have transgressed the commandment of the Most High God, and they are here bound until the infinite number of days of their crimes be completed. And Enoch 18, 13-16 And in the columns of heaven I beheld fires, 
which descended without number, but neither on high nor into the deep. Over these fountains also I perceived a place which had neither the firmament of heaven above it, nor the solid ground underneath it, neither was there water above it, nor anything on wing, but the spot was desolate. And there I beheld seven stars, like great blazing mountains, and like spirits entreating me. Then the angel said, This place, until the consummation of heaven and earth, will be the prison of the stars and the host of heaven. The stars which roll over fire are those which transgress the commandment of God before their time arrived, for they came not in their proper season. Therefore was he offended with them and bound them until the period of consummation of their crimes in the secret year. Lorenzo, why do you believe that these seven evil stars it's talking about in the book of Enoch are the seven stars of the Pleiades? Um, because, I mean, there's, there's not many constellations that are tied up as seven specific stars. I see. So there can't be any other guesses. And then, you know, there have been many cultures from the Aborigines to the Australians to the Egyptians. In all of their cosmology, they seem to worship the Pleiades. Interesting. So I somehow think, you know, in the Lord's wisdom and in Enoch's wisdom that he's touching that there's something negative in these constellations. Um, but if you, if you just Google the Pleiades today, you're going to find a whole bunch of mediums. You know, people are talking to these Pleiades. They like star seeded the earth. They have messages and they're actually here to help and save humanity. But I don't want to go into that today. I want to actually speak about the specific seven stars by name and the influences they bring. By doing that, I actually want to like just show us like what has creeped into our culture and our thinking and what do we need to bind. One more question, Lorenzo, before we go on. If the seven evil stars have been bound until the consummation of their crimes in the secret year, how can they still be up in the night sky influencing the world? Yeah, so even though they're bound, there are still influences. So, for example, you know Azazel is bound, but Azazel is still an influence. I see, right. And when the watches came down in Genesis chapter 6, even though those watches are bound, because they are spirit, people still contact them and they still worship them and they're still able to tap into their knowledge. That is my theory. Nightlight Insights. So, Lorenzo, tell us more about these seven stars. What are their names and what are their evil influences on the world? So, yeah, touching the Pleiades here. So, the eldest of the Pleiadian sisters is Maya, who is said to be the Greek mother of Hermes, and either Atlas or Zeus. I see. So just to explain, the Pleiades are seven sisters, and they're called nymphs, and they were supposedly human women, and these human women had interactions with the gods. And through them having interactions with the gods, they were cursed to be sirens or nymphs, and they begat children. 
So to me, that sounds very much like Genesis chapter 6 and what Enoch explains regarding these um, watchers choosing wives for themselves and having offspring. It does. So Maya, you know, the month of um, May is named after Maya. The Mayans are named after Maya. And one of the main stars in the Pleiades is Atlas. You know, Atlas is the Greek god that holds the earth on his shoulders or the heavens on his shoulders or the firmament on his shoulders. That's right. I mean, if any of your listeners are interested in um, Atlantis, you know, ancient Atlantis, the city of Atlantis that was destroyed is associated to Atlas. Really? So there you have Atlas in the Pleiades and then you have Maya. And Maya had a son whose name was Hermes. Okay, so just to open up Hermes a little bit, Hermes is actually a shapeshifter. He takes on different forms, but to the Egyptians, he was Thoth. And then from Thoth, he takes on different forms. And even in the Egyptian kind of hieroglyphics and tablets, he's connected to Enki and Enlil. And in different mythologies, you even have Odin, Odin is also associated with Thoth. And then even third Enoch, I'm saying that character Enoch is associated with Hermes. So Hermes is actually a shapeshifter who went from Thoth to Hermes to Odin. And it's basically, it's an influence. It's a spirit that, first of all, infiltrates cultures. And then if you read like the book of Exodus and God going to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh, these guys were worshipping thought. Right. So when God went to overthrow the Egyptians and when Moses throws his staff down and it eats Janus and Jamraz's staffs, right. the main deity, which is very important to keep in mind, is Thoth. And that is why God destroyed them because he destroyed their religion, he destroyed their deity, he destroyed their stronghold, and he destroyed their god. But then Thoth actually mutates, and he becomes Hermes. Wow, this is fascinating. I've heard of all these different gods, but I didn't know they were all connected, and also represented in the Pleiades constellation. So Christopher, you know, just opening up this character, like, if I say to you, like, who's Hermes? You know, no one knows Hermes today. Um, Hermes, he's a messenger from the gods. He's a trickster. But the thing about Hermes and his main writings, which includes um, the Hermetica, and Hermes is referred to as um, a character called Hermes, thrice great. And Hermes was actually, um, I'm going to just hit some of the notes here. It says Hermes is to the Greeks and thought is to the Egyptians and Mercury is to the Romans, who then manifests as Hermes Trismegistus, meaning three times great. Hermes' wisdom of the universe includes mainly three things. Alchemy, operation of the sun, astrology, the operation of the stars, and theurgy, the operation of the gods. Hermeticism is one of the oldest religions and philosophical traditions and is a blend of the Egyptian religion, science, magic, 
do you know what? I think maybe you should just read this little portion of footnotes here. Right. Hermeticism is a blend of ancient Egyptian religion, philosophy, science, and magic with elements of Greek paganism, Alexandrian Judaism, ancient Sumerian religion, and Chaldean astrology and astronomy, and Zoroastrianism. Pythagoras, Plato, and Aristotle were all deeply influenced by Hermetic teachings. Hermeticism rose to fame again during the Renaissance, and it's since been identified how Hermeticism influenced the scientific revolution, which was supposed to have been about embracing reason and open inquiry over faith, mysticism, or dogma, but ironically was steeped in mythical, metaphorical, and magical hermetic teachings. The main fathers of the modern science and this scientific method were deeply religious, and many were alchemists and esoterics. Hermetic principles can be seen in the works of Nicolaus Copernicus, the round globe model, Johannes Kepler, laws of planetary motion, Robert Boyle, modern scientific method, and Isaac Newton, the laws of planetary motion and universal gravitation. So, Lorenzo, you're saying that all of this scientific theory was developed from the knowledge of the watchers. You know, if you go back to Enoch and it speaks of those angels and what they taught men, it, it mentions the one specific watcher who taught the motion of the sun, the moon, and the stars, right? Right. You remember that character in Enoch? I think Azazel taught something. Then you get this other guy, and he teaches the motion of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Right. And then someone teaches metal work. But anyway, I'm just saying Hermes specializes in these three things, operation of the stars, the operation of the gods. And Hermes, he's a, a trickster. That's his main speciality. He's actually the Greek god, and he has like these little wings on his feet, and wings on his helmet. Right. The gods give a message. Hermes interprets the message, and then men hear the message. The Hermetic belief in one transcendent God, the all in all in the universe. They also believe in the principle as above, so below. So this is my theory that they want to bind what God wants to do and loose what they want to do. Right. When Jesus taught us to pray and he said, Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, God was teaching us that we actually should bring his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. Yes. This ancient mystical religion, their whole root is as above, so below. So being opposed by the church, the hermetic tradition was forced to the cult to go underground. This includes the secret societies. So, Christopher, you know, my point is hermeticism is the foundation of all mystery religions, including Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, the Kabbalah, Luciferianism, the Theosophical Society who are the main kind of religious influential wing to um, the United Nations. Really? So hermeneutics is basically behind all of this stuff. 
I think the reason why these, some of these thoughts are quite hard to comprehend, you've you got to think of it this way. There's four main religions on the earth today. Four. There's basically Christianity. There is Judaism. There's Islam. But the fourth, it's a secret religion. And the root of the mystery schools is Hermeticism and the Hermetica going back to Hermes. So if you think that Newton was a Hermeticist. Newton, wow. Plato was a Hermeticist. Copernicus was a Hermeticist. They were drawing on their sciences. They were drawing on their knowledge from this ancient writing of the Emerald Tablets and from these hermeneutic teachings. So, you know, when we go back to binding and loosing, we actually have to ask ourselves how much of our thinking has been influenced by the hermetic teachings. you have any questions, Christopher? Sorry, I know this is very wordy. Yes, what are the emerald tablets that were mentioned? So the emerald tablets, as far as I know, were found in the pyramids. And the emerald tablets were the writings of Hermes. And they were engraved in emerald tablets. And, I mean, they're still available to this day. Really? And it's a foundation for the mystery religions. Okay. So, you know, a few things that tie together are the emerald tablets, the hermetic writings. You know, they, they kind of tie in even to, you know, Solomon. You know, Solomon, he built the temple and he was a servant of the Lord. I believe that. But remember, then he gets all these wives and concubines, and then he actually reestablishes the high places. And Solomon also, you know, wrote some very dark stuff in his later days. So I believe all of these things are tying into these influences of the hermeneutic teachings. Lorenzo, you said that the four major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and then Hermeticism. Does that mean that the other religions like Buddhism and Hinduism also come under the umbrella of Hermeticism? Yeah, do you know what? They, they're kind of smaller religions, but your Buddhism and your Hinduism, they're actually also influenced by this Hermetic thinking. I'll sum it up like this. There's basically two Gospels being preached. One of them is the Gospel that came from the watchers. Right. And the watchers taught men the motion of the sun, the moon, and the stars. They taught them root cuttings. You know, they taught them about the gods. They taught them the beautifying of the eyelids and how to make weapons. So there's a gospel that came from the watchers, right? Right. And then there's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father is through the Son. Amen. You have to pick up your cross. You have to die to yourself. He has to become your Lord, and then you can be saved. That's right. So the gospel of these watchers and the gospel of these hermetic teachings is you can become God. You can ascend. You can learn these ancient mysteries. You can learn these hidden teaching of the watchers. And you can become like God without Christ. Gosh. And a lot of our education and a lot of our thinking today already has this hermetic thinking in it. Right. So when I talk about binding and loosing, I'm even talking about us 
coming and holding every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and cleaning out our own thinking where this hermetic thinking has infiltrated our minds. Yes. Hermeticism and Gnosticism are all exotic and occult. New Age religions, philosophers have spun from them and are attempts to enlighten. You know, they want the rebirth without submission. They want freedom without lordship. They want to become God without regeneration and transformation. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. I want to go on to the next character, right? The next character is Asclepius. Asclepius was a disciple of Hermes. I'm not sure if you know of the rod of Asclepius, but if you see any um, medical institution or ambulance, they all have a rod with a snake on or two snakes. Mm -hmm. The two snakes is the caduceus. The one snake is the rod of Asclepius. I never knew that. If we read the scripture about, and by their sorceries were all the nations of the earth deceived, we come to that word pharmakia. You know, pharmakia is the sorceries. And Asclepius is the counterfeit healer. He's basically promising the world, I will heal you. Where Christ says, he's the true healer. And through the cross and through his stripes, we are healed. Yes. You know, to bring this up to date again today, you know, we went through this whole lockdown, this whole pandemic. People were forced to wear masks to get their foreheads scanned for temperature. That's right. With to this day, we do not know what was in those vaccinations. You know, my theory is that um, there's something through this pharmakia where Satan's agenda is to manipulate man's genetics. So in the days of Noah, these watchers, they manipulated the genetics. The giants were on the earth, and then the Lord had to destroy the earth with a flood. That's going to be Satan's exact end-time strategy. Through the working of Asclepius and through the working of the pharmakia and the sorcery, he wants to genetically edit man's genome again, moving man away from his image. Right. So now you can see a little bit what I'm touching regarding binding. We need to bind the hermetic thinking. Yes. We need to bind the hermetic sciences that contradict the scripture. Yes. We need to bind these works of Asclepius regarding the sorceries of pharmakia and actually not let them into our God-generated, God-image bodies. Is that kind of starting to make a bit of sense? So, yeah, because of time, I am wanting to go to the next character, right? The next character is Pan. All these are associated with the Pleiades, eh? Right. You know, Pan was the son of the Greek god Hermes. In ancient religion and mythology, Pan is the god of the wild, the shepherds. You know, I think I'll go straight to the point that when Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi, that's at the base of Mount Hermon. That is where Jesus says to um, his disciples, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Where Jesus was standing at this exact spot, at Caesarea Philippi, was called the gates of hell. 
and that is where they would worship Pan. Pan is half God, half man. And, you know, they would do these um, rituals at the gates of hell where there would be kind of all kinds of sexual immorality, men and women. Eventually they'd bring goats in. Eventually there'd be bestiality. There would be sacrifice. It was literally one of the worst places where Pan was worshipped. And Jesus stood in that place at Caesarea Philippi, and he declared that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Awesome. Praise God. So, you know, we can see even these influences today, you know, regarding all sexual perversion. If we're talking about homosexuality, if we're talking about the LBGTQ movement where you can identify as anything, where they're looking at reintroducing pedophilia, where they're looking at all these distortions of God's creation. Again, it's another influence coming from the Pleiades. It's never completely dark when you're listening to Nightlight. Nightlight. You know, Christopher, another, another note I want to make is this was in the 1700s and the show is way too short to expound on anything. I think I'm just throwing out some seeds for thought to, uh, to your listeners. Yes. The 1700s, Alexandria, in the libraries there, they're studying the Bible. And then they decide to take a methodology on studying literature. And this methodology is actually called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is actually the art and science of interpreting any information, right? Hermeneutics was developed by thought, which is one of God's worst enemies, who becomes Hermes. Then in the 17th century, they take this principle of hermeneutics and now they apply it to the Bible. If you kind of go to Bible studies or theological studies, in order for you to become a minister, a deep way for you to study the scriptures is through hermeneutics. But a note I want to make there is hermeneutics comes from Hermes. And if you look at hermeneutics on the outset, it actually seems really good, right? It seems like, look at the historical context, look at the whole of the scripture, look at the cultural relevance. And there's a thing called a hermeneutic circle. But when you study the scripture through this hermeneutic circle, I believe that you can actually get stuck it's almost like the only way I can explain Hermes, he's a wizard and he actually wants to apply a wizard circle or a wizard spell upon his audience. Horrible. The sweet influence is the Pleiades, Hermes, the ancient mystery religions, the Hermetica, the Kabbalion, Freemasonry. Even if you look at um, Hegel, if you look at communism, if you look at this work movement, all of these things are stooped in hermetic thinking. They're all hermetic. Interesting. So as believers, I encourage us, we have to bind these influences that come from Hermes. We have to bind these influences that come from Asclepius. Yes. We have to bind these influences that come through Pan, all these perversions. And Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys. And you can bind them. The church has the power to bind them. And we need to bind them in prayer. 
and we need to check our own mind and our own soul. Have any of these teachings come in and infiltrated and usurped us? It's nightlife. What a delight. So, Christopher, on the negative side, I only touched a little bit of Pleiades. You have to realize there's a lot more there. Right. I've just touched Maya and some of her descendants. We can extrapolate on that a lot more. But those things must be bound on the negative side. Yes. But then on the positive side, something has to be loosed. So now as we look at the constellation Orion, Orion is, he's not a popular constellation. He's actually a hated and despised constellation. According to the mythology, he was stung by Scorpio and he's called a fool. They don't like him. He's bad news. And we don't want to give this guy any airtime. You know, one of the stars in the name of Orion, its name is Messiah, which means the shining one. And in Mark 9 verse 3, and it says his raiment becomes shining and exceedingly white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can whiten them. One of the names of the stars is the shining one. And I believe, Christopher, through prayer, we need to actually loose the shining one. The next star is Betelgeuse or Betelax. It means the branch that comes. Jeremiah twenty three forty six. it says, Behold the day, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and the king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice on the earth. And in his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called Lord of Righteousness. So there we have the branch. So we need to loose the shining one. We need to loose the branch. The next one is Betelax. Betelax means female warrior, the conqueror. And we see in Song of Solomon 6.10, Who is she that looks forth? As the morning, fair as the moon, as clear as the sun, and as terrible as an army with banners. And we also see in Revelations 21 verse 2, And John saw a holy city in New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. So we've got Betelax, which means warrior bride. Wouldn't you say that in these days, Christopher, that the warrior bride... The bride without spot or wrinkle needs to be loosed. Yes, absolutely. The warrior bride, yes. She needs to be loosed. Yeah, so you can see the enemy. The enemy wants to bind. He wants to bind the shining one. He wants to bind the branch. He wants to bind the warrior bride. And he wants to loose these hermetic teachings and these kind of pharmacias and this whole kind of pan even pantheonism comes from pan. He's got an agenda to lose something. So we're at war with these two kingdoms. The next star in Orion is Rigel. The brightest star in Orion that is located in the left foot. And this star is called the foot that crushes. And it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. 
and Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over the church. So Rigel is the foot that crushes. And we do need to pray for the foot that crushes to be loosed. And then you can also hit Revelations 14.20 for us. That's also a really nice one. It says, And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And Revelation 19.15, He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The next one is the belt, which is El Netak, which is the girdle. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, he was girdled around on his breast with a girdle. Next is El Nilam, which means string of pearls. And the twelve gates were made of twelve pearls, and every gate of one pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold, as transparent as glass. Interesting thing, Christopher. So in Orion, there's his belt. The belt is called the belt of truth. And these three stars in his belt, if you look on the ecliptic from east to west, the belt points directly to the Pleiades. And Orion is always chasing the Pleiades east to west on the ecliptic. So it's just an interesting point that this belt points to the Pleiades. And then we've got um, Minotak, another star in Orion, which means the belt. And in Ephesians 6 verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth and having your breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth has to be loosed. And then we also have in Orion the Omega, the last. And he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life. These are aspects of Christ that we need to loose, declare and call forth. Each of the stars of Orion mentions an aspect of Christ and the church. In the night sky, we can see direct line from Orion, the belt of truth that extends to the Pleiades. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. To bind and to lose has two facets. Number one, it's got to do with spiritual warfare about your own mind. We need to meditate on the word of God. And we need to reprogram our own mind to believe the word of God and to hold every thought captive. And then number two, we have to realize through prayer and through spiritual warfare. And when it says the weapons of our warfare are mighty in the demolishing of strongholds and we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and principalities and powers in high places. This is what it's talking about. This is the delusion of the end times. It's these mystery religions that have infiltrated our Western culture. The thing about these mystery religions, Christopher, they don't teach you 10 points and you agree with the 10 points. The power of this wizard spell and these mystery religions, they actually change the way you think. 
That's what they're designed to do. They're designed to change the way you think. So even if truth comes to you, the way you've been programmed to think resists the truth. Well, thank you so much, Lorenzo, for those insights into some deep spiritual realities and influences that most of us, I'm sure, were previously unaware of. But now that we are aware, let's activate the keys of the kingdom that Jesus gifted us with to open and shut, to bind and to loose, and be actively and powerfully engaged in the great spiritual war that is raging around us. This is Chris Glynn signing off. Bye for now.